Well, as I just prayed, we are going to start a series on the book of Hebrews today, and we're not going to get very far in it. We're just going to look at the first verse and a half or so, and uh, revel in these words that we have here and what it means, and uh, I'm looking forward also to next week where we have this wonderful uh, description of Jesus and uh, had to control myself to not go ahead too far, uh, knowing that our time is a little shorter this morning because of the Lord's Supper. But we'll look at these, these verses 1 and 2 today and uh, draw some things out of that that will be an encouragement to us. I was trying to think of a famous person that I have spoken to, and I couldn't think of anybody that I've ever met. I've been on airplanes with famous wrestlers um, like Abdullah the Butcher, uh, that's about as famous. And, and I think I saw Jim Valvano, uh, the basketball coach, uh, in the airport one time. Um, but I can't remember anybody. My daughter, Virginia, met and spoke to Morgan Freeman one time in Clarksdale. So that's pretty impressive. But, you know, when you, if you have spoken to someone who's famous, I think, Sarah, you've met Billy Graham when you were a child, so that's pretty impressive. But we remember those, those times and that they spoke to us and we maybe uh, had a little conversation with someone famous uh, that means something to us and we uh, delight in that and we tell people the story of the time we spoke to so-and-so. Well, this passage before us today tells us that God has spoken to us and that's very important for us to, to remember and very important for us to, to delight in and to understand just how important that is. Because if we get excited about a human, another human being who happens to be famous, uh, how much more excited should we be that God has spoken to us? Well, here's God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word from Hebrews chapter 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. Well, the, the background that we need to look at this from is simply this, that knowing God is our greatest good. I mean, we need to understand that fact. Knowing God is every human being's greatest good. John Calvin wrote a catechism that uh, our Westminster Shorter Catechism is based upon, and uh, it's a little bit unwieldy, but it was for the children of Geneva. Sometimes it's called the Geneva Catechism, but here's how it begins. It's a minister to a child is, is uh, how it's how it's termed in there, but this is a conversation that's going on. The minister asks, what is the chief end of human life? To know God. So that's our chief purpose in life is to know God. Why do you say that? Because he created us and placed us in this world to be glorified in us. And it is indeed right that our life, of which he himself is the beginning, should be devoted to his glory. What is the sovereign good of man? The same thing. So not only is it our greatest purpose, but it is our greatest good, our sovereign good. 
the overruling good of every human being is to know God. Why do you hold that to be the sovereign good? Because without it, our condition is more miserable than that of brute beasts. Hence, then, we see that nothing worse can happen to a man than to live without God. That's the important point right there. Nothing worse can happen to a man than to live without God. And that's why these first two verses here are so very important. God spoke. This means that God desired to make himself known. You know, you can't get to know someone unless you speak to them or, or they speak to you. I know some of my neighbors because we've had conversations. Uh, some of the neighbors little, live a little further away from me I've never met. We've never spoken. I haven't taken the, made the effort to go and speak to them. But that's how we would get to know one another is speak to one another. We, we're, only, we're very limited in what we can understand about another person uh, without speaking to them and having a conversation. God has made himself known because we can't know God unless he reveals himself to us, right? He has to take that initiative, and he did take that initiative. We can't know him unless he reveals himself because he is infinite and above us. I was reading in Louis Burkhoff's Systematic Theology, and, and he says, makes this great point, he says, in the study of all other sciences, man places himself above the object of his investigation and actively elicits from it his knowledge by whatever method may seem most appropriate. That made me think of biology class in high school uh, where we uh, studied frogs and we dissected the frog and we had to learn all the parts of the frog and it was really gross and, uh, but that's what we were standing over those frogs and learning about biology of frogs and life and, and how their bodies work and so forth. But we were above the frog studying it. But he goes on. But in theology, and when he talks about theology, he's talking about the, the study of God. But in theology, he does not stand above but rather under the object of his knowledge. In other words, man can know God only in so far as God actively makes himself known. God is first of all the subject communicating knowledge to man and can only become an object of study for man insofar as the latter appropriates and reflects on the knowledge conveyed to him by revelation. See, God has to give us some knowledge of himself for us to know God. He has to do it first and then we can study God based on what he's revealed about himself. Without revelation, man would never have been able to acquire any knowledge of God. And even after God has revealed himself objectively, it is not human reason that discovers God, but it is God who discloses himself to the eye of faith. However, by the application of sanctified human reason to the study of God's word, man can, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, gain an ever-increasing knowledge of God. So God has to do something for us to be able to know him at all. I mean, he could have, in theory, remained invisible to us. 
he, he could have blinded our eyes to his creation around us because creation does testify to him and we can look at creation and deduce that there is a God in some respects. Romans 1 talks about the fact that there's in us an innate knowledge of God that we suppress in unrighteousness. And Psalm 19 tells us that creation does reveal something of God. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork day to day, pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. Now, we see creation and as believers, we can give glory to God as our creator. But if you're not a believer, you're looking at creation. And I think it fills you with a sense of awe and should turn your attention to God, but that's not enough. That's not enough. Calvin says, Just as old or bleary-eyed men and those, who, those with weak vision, if you thrust before them a most beautiful volume, even if they recognize it to be some sort of writing, yet can scarcely construe two words but with the aid of spectacles will begin to read distinctly. So Scripture, gathering up the otherwise confused knowledge of God in our minds, having dispersed our dullness, clearly shows us the true God. This, therefore, is a special gift where God, to instruct the church, not merely uses mute teachers, but also opens his own most hallowed lips not only does he teach the elect to look upon a God, but also shows himself as the God upon whom they are to look. He has from the beginning maintained this plan for his church so that besides these common proofs, he has also put forth his word, which is a more direct and more certain mark whereby he is to be recognized. So God has spoken to us. God has given us his word, and that allows us to be able to understand who he is, and to come to know him, which is our greatest good, to know God, to be able to have a relationship with God. That's what we were created for. That's what Adam and Eve enjoyed in the Garden of Eden before the fall, fellowship with the Lord. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. How good God is that he has stooped down to speak to us and to reveal himself to us so that we can know him. We need his word. We need that special revelation of God's word so we can know him correctly. So God spoke. God spoke to our fathers through the prophets. And it says, in many times, at many times and in many ways that the word times is not really the word times, it's the word portions, many parts or shares or portions. So in the past, through the prophets, God spoke in many portions. And you can, you can translate it time because God spoke at various times through Moses and then he sent various prophets and etc. Through, uh, through, uh, to Israel and to others. In the Old Testament, we, we read uh, about the various 
points where God speaks to certain individuals. And that was recorded for us, and we have it in our Bibles. So there's a lot of parts or portions of it, first of all, and in many ways, many manners, many different fashions. Sometimes God, like Moses, he revealed himself in a burning bush initially. He revealed himself to Moses on Mount Sinai. Sometimes he communicated to people through dreams or visions. Uh, sometimes through very strange circumstances, like the whole thing with Hosea and Gomer. You have God communicating in various ways throughout the Old Testament. So it's, it's a bit scattered, it's in portions, and it's through all kinds of different means. But God is speaking. But now he has spoken to us by his Son. And that is not a part or a portion. Uh, that's not in any kind of dream or burning bush. It is in a person that God has spoken. It is a person, Jesus Christ. He is the fullest revelation, the final word, the most clear picture we have of God, that we can know him. John 1 tells us, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And what do we see? We see His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. From His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And here's the part that goes along with what we're saying here. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. That's Jesus, has made Him known. Now that word, has made Him known, is one word in the Greek. And it means to provide detailed information in a systematic manner, to inform, to relate, and to tell fully. So Jesus gives us the full story of God. And all we have to do is to look at him. And, and what does Jesus show us? What does it say here in John 1 that he shows us and tells us? He shows us grace upon grace. He shows us truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. That word, he has made him known, uh, is the word we get uh, the word exegesis from. And that's a preacher term, a theology student term. Exegesis is, uh, we have to write exegesis papers, which means in order for us to get ordained in our presbytery, we have to provide a paper on a passage of scripture that fully explains a verse or 
section of Scripture. It's called an exegesis paper because it's fully explaining something. You're just trying to get everything out of it you can and be able to look at it and break it down in the Greek and so forth. Exegesis, that's the word. Exegomai is, is the word that's used here. Jesus exegetes God for us. He makes him fully known. The topic is completely covered in Jesus and it's grace and truth that's revealed. That should make you worship God, to give thanks to Him, because He obviously desires for us to know Him. And He wants to have a relationship with us. He wants it so much that He sent Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, to come and take on human flesh and walk among us, to dwell among us, to tabernacle is the word, tabernacle amongst us. He's God. You know, when in the Old Testament, before they built the temple, they had the tabernacle, and God was, was in the tabernacle. That's where Moses and Aaron and the priests went to meet with God. But now the tabernacle is walking around on earth. It's Jesus, and we can know him. He has made him known. That should thrill our hearts and give us an encouragement if we can know God to make it our purpose in life to have a deeper relationship with the Lord, which we can have, as Burkhoff said earlier. Uh, we're filled with the Spirit. He illuminates, enlightens us, and helps us, draws us into deeper faith. And, and we should pursue that knowledge of God which is our highest good, the, the best thing that you can do, the, the thing that will delight your soul more than anything else. The psalmist tells us to taste and see that the Lord is good. We can. We can taste and see that the Lord is good. All these other things that we think we need in our lives that uh, are sinful, that, that we find some pleasure and joy in, those things are not as fulfilling and will not give us any modicum of the joy that we get when we come to know the Lord. And the more we know him, the more joy we have. Well, Bavink, Hartman Bavink, uh, says the same thing that I've been saying. He says, God is the highest good of man. That is the testimony of the whole scriptures. The Bible begins with the account that God created man after his own image and likeness in order that he should know God, his creator, aright, should love him with all his heart, and should live with him in eternal blessedness. And the Bible ends with the description of the new Jerusalem whose inhabitants shall see God face to face and shall have his name upon their foreheads. Between these two moments lies the revelation of God in all its length and breadth. As its content, this revelation has the one great comprehensive promise of the covenant of grace. I will be a God unto thee, and ye shall be my people. That's from Genesis to Revelation. God says that. I will be your God, and you shall be my people. And at its, at its midpoint, the midpoint of God's revelation, and its high point, this revelation has its Emmanuel, God 
with us. The fullest revelation of God. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We can know God through Christ. And as we come to the table today, it's a, a picture of, of God's desire to have a relationship with us. He invites us to his table. He wants to encourage us in our faith through participating in the, the body and blood of Christ. Here at the table, we are part of his family, and he loves us. And he loves us so much that Jesus came and he died for our sins, that we might be cleansed and that we might be freed from our bondage to sin and we might be welcomed as children into God's family. He loves us so much that he shed his blood that our sins would be forgiven and cleansed. And we have a, a family that is joining with us at the table. The, the children of God, we're all here together to celebrate the Lord because we can know him and commune with him and that's what we want to do at this table this morning if you know the lord today rejoice that god has revealed himself to you and if you don't then ask the lord to reveal himself to you ask him to open the eyes of your heart ask him to show himself to you and i know that he will let's pray together lord we thank you for this encouragement. Thank you, Lord, that you have revealed yourself to us. What a privilege it is that you have spoken to us. Uh, Lord, we should brag about that more than speaking to any famous person. We thank you, Lord, that you have stooped down to give us clear direction and guidance for our lives, to point us to yourself. We pray, Lord, that as we come to the table this morning, that we would indeed commune with you and that you would strengthen us with Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen.